So we'll cover uh, here almost uh, 10 chapters in 1 Kings. And just to review again, last time we talked about Elijah. And so we were kind of in this 200-year period of time, roughly. Okay, so Elisha here is in 2 Kings. And so we're going to cover uh, the story of three prophets. Two are named and one is not named. Uh, there's this prophet from Judah in 1 Kings 13 that comes to give Jeroboam a message. And then we'll talk about two prophets that come to warn Ahab. Uh, the first one is not named, and then the second is Micaiah. Okay, so we're uh, here in this period of time. Remember the kings here with our first prophet are Rehoboam and Jeroboam. All right, so I, I'm hoping to have a little bit of uh, help in these cases because these are... Uh, you read commentaries, and people differ, have all kinds of opinions, but uh, um, hard to understand stories. I think one point I'll just say, rather than making it a summary point at the end, I'll just state it up front. Uh, this verse that has been helpful to me in Hosea, where God would say, the people of Israel are as stubborn as mules. How can I feed them like lambs in a meadow? We are in a period of time that is uh, just uh, filled with uh, stubborn mules. And how do you reach a stubborn mule? You need to use uh, methods, um, you know, that are sometimes uh, fairly dramatic. Okay, these stories are pretty dramatic. And I think one point we could say is God is using fairly dramatic measures, very theatrical in, in some cases, uh, to reach people that are very hardened. Okay, so uh, on one hand, these, these uh, stories can trouble us about God, but, you know, as a parent, can you imagine uh, a child rebelling to the point that you might have to do something uh, that would seem uh, rather extreme, but out of love for your child, uh, you might be willing to do it. Well, I think we see God using measures like that. So uh, the first story here, I think it's just helpful just to read it, okay? And uh, then we'll ask some questions here, and hopefully I can get a little feedback from you. So Jeroboam rebuilt Shechem in the hills of Ephraim and lived there, and he said to himself, the kingdom will probably return to David's dynasty now. King Rehoboam of Judah, the former master of these people, will regain popularity if they go to sacrifice in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. Then they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. And after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said, you've been worshiping in Jerusalem long enough. Israel, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. And he put one in Bethel and the other in Dan. Worshiping them became Israel's sin. The people went as far as Dan to worship the one calf. Jeroboam built worship sites on hilltops. He appointed men who were not descended from Levi to be priests. Jeroboam appointed a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, just like the festival in Judah. He went to the altar in Bethel to sacrifice to the calves he had made. He appointed priests from the illegal worship sites to serve in Bethel. He went to his altar in Bethel to burn an offering on the 15th day of the 8th month, the festival he had invented for the Israelites. And haven't we seen this repeated in human history so many times? I mean, is, um, is Jeroboam really a, a devout religious person? Um, no, don't we see he invented this for political reasons, right? He wanted power. Okay, and, and we could probably list dozens of examples quickly of people that have done things. You know, religion can really be a stick to get people to uh, go in a certain direction. Okay, and uh, anyway, he, he used all of this to um, establish his power. Okay, so at the Lord's command, a prophet from Judah went to Bethel and arrived there as Jeroboam stood on the altar to offer the sacrifice. Following the Lord's command, the prophet denounced the altar. 
O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A child whose name will be Josiah will be born to the family of David. It's it's, um, interesting, we think of prophecy as Daniel, Revelation, all of this future um, stuff, but there are lots of prophetic messages in the Old Testament. Uh, Remember the message that came to uh, Abraham that uh, we could project forward all the way to uh, when the people were in Egypt. And now we have this uh, prophecy here about a man named Josiah. And sure enough, 300 years later, there was a Josiah. And this happened. So Josiah would be born. He will slaughter on you the priests serving at the pagan altars who offer sacrifices on you. And he will burn human bones on you. And the prophet went on to say, This altar will fall apart and the ashes on it will be scattered. Then you will know that the Lord has spoken through me. When King Jeroboam heard this, he pointed at him and ordered, Seize that man. At once, the king's arm became paralyzed so that he couldn't pull it back. And the altar suddenly fell apart and the ashes spilled to the ground. Remember, that's what he just said. As the prophet had predicted in the name of the Lord. Okay, so King Jeroboam said to the prophet, Please pray for me to the Lord your God and ask him to heal my arm. Is this a sincere repentance here? Just wants to get his arm fixed, it sounds like. And the prophet prayed to the Lord, and the king's arm was healed. And then the king said to the prophet, Come home with me and have something to eat. I will reward you for what you have done. And the prophet answered, Even if you gave me half of your wealth, I would not go with you or eat or drink anything with you. The Lord has commanded me not to eat or drink a thing and not to return home the same way I came. Um, Now, we didn't get the the message that the prophet received, uh, but we find out about it later here. So God told him, don't go back the same way you came. Interesting to consider why that was important. And he told him, don't accept anyone's hospitality. So he didn't go back the same way he had come, but by another road. Now, this is where it gets um, very difficult. At that time, there was an old prophet living in Bethel. His sons came and told him what the prophet from Judah had done in Bethel that day and what he had said to King Jeroboam. Which way did he go when he left? The old prophet asked him. And they showed him the road, and he told them to saddle his donkey for him. They did so, and he rode off down the road after the prophet from Judah and found him sitting under an oak tree. Are you the prophet from Judah, he asked. I am, the man answered. Come home and have a meal with me, he said. But the prophet from Judah answered, he's still faithful. I can't go home with you or accept your hospitality, and I won't eat or drink anything with you here because the Lord has commanded me not to eat or drink a thing and not to return home from the same way I came. And then the old prophet from Bethel said to him, I too am a prophet, just like you. And at the Lord's command, and this is Yahweh, at Yahweh's command, an angel told me to take you home with me and offer you my hospitality. Hey, now what do you do? God has given you a command to do something, and then someone says and climbs up and says, well, God spoke to me also. And he told me that this is what you're supposed to do. And, and I'm so glad that this, is, this uh, comment is here. But the old prophet was lying. Of course, the young prophet didn't know. Okay, but we have this uh, helpful comment here. The old prophet was lying. So the prophet from Judah went home with the old prophet and had a meal with him. And as they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet. Now, can God speak through uh, rebellious prophets? I mean, look at Balaam. 
Here the Lord spoke through this old prophet who lied to the younger prophet. And he cried out to the prophet from Judah, The Lord says that you disobeyed him and did not do what he had commanded. Instead, you returned and ate a meal in a place he had ordered you not to eat in. Because of this, you will be killed, and your body will not be buried in your family grave. After they finished eating, can you imagine finishing a meal after you'd received a message like that? But I guess they finished eating. And the old prophet saddled the donkey for the prophet from Judah, who rode off. On the way, a lion met him and killed him. And his body lay on the road, and the donkey and the lion stood beside it. Now, that would be quite a dramatic scene, wouldn't it? Don't you think uh, the story of this got around? People talked about it. you got a lion and a donkey just standing there by this prophet who just came to Jeroboam. And some men passed by and saw the body on the road with the lion standing near it. They went on into Bethel and reported what they had seen. Such a strange story. But when the old prophet heard about it, he said, that is the prophet who disobeyed the Lord's command. I mean, you know, he's the one that deceived him. And here he seems to be hammering on uh, the fault of the younger prophet. And so the Lord sent the lion to attack and kill him, just as the Lord said he would. And then he said to his sons, saddle my donkey for me. They did so. And he rode off and found the prophet's body lying on the road with the donkey and the lion still standing by it. How long were they there? Just standing by the body. The lion had not eaten the body or attacked the donkey, standing there. The old prophet picked up the body, put it on the donkey, and brought it back to Bethel to mourn over it and bury it. He buried it in his own family grave, and he and his sons mourned over it, saying, Oh, my brother, my brother. It's even stranger. After the burial, the prophet said to his sons, When I die, bury me in this grave and lay my body next to his. The words that he spoke at the Lord's command against the altar in Bethel and against all the places of worship in the towns of Samaria will surely come true. And it did. King Jeroboam of Israel still did not turn from his evil ways, but continued to choose priests from ordinary families to serve at the altars he had built. He ordained as priest anyone who wanted to be one. And this sin on his part brought about the ruin and total destruction of his dynasty. So apparently this uh, you know, dramatic message to Jeroboam, you know, was, um, he rejected initially, God healed him, you would think maybe that act of kindness uh, may have uh, done something to him, didn't, then he has this dramatic story with the lion and the donkey, and that, that didn't move him either. So our questions here are, you know, what are we supposed to learn from this story? Uh, do you feel uh, closer to God because of this story? Um, you know, what what uh, impresses you about this? Why did the older prophet lie? What was his motivation? Uh, was he jealous that maybe God hadn't given the message to him? You know, what, what was his uh, reason for lying? How could the younger prophet have known that the older prophet was lying? I think this is maybe something practical for us. You know, lots of people make claims and say things. Well, God has said this to me. How do you know if they're telling the truth or not? And what should the younger prophet have said to the older prophet? So these are just some um, some things to consider. Um, if you have a chance, um, Graham Maxwell, who probably more than any other person influenced me into reading the Bible many years ago, um, he passed away just uh, very recently, but he has a, a book that's uh, for kids of this story with colorful illustrations. But he tells a story about, uh, I think it's a Scottish uh, pastor that kept getting hounded by this person in his church with difficult stories. And the pastor didn't have answers for the difficult stories. 
and he was finally getting annoyed by this uh, individual in his church. And so he finally asked him, uh, do you like fish? And the man said, uh, yes, love fish. And he said, well, what do you do with the bones? And the man said, well, I just scoot them off to the side of the plate. And the pastor said, well, that's what I do with scripture. I eat the meat and the bones. I just scoot off to the side of the plate. Um, now, the question is, what if your plate is mainly bones? Um, or what if uh, we're scooting meat off to the side of the plate? Um, is, is there meat in this story? Well, um, I want to c contrast this with another story, but does anyone have any thoughts? It's just something that happens, so it's described. I and mean, God's obviously involved in this story. Um, so what's, what's the point? Well, if you're not sure, you, you shouldn't feel bad because not too many people seem to have a strong conviction about this story. While you're thinking about it, uh, let me just uh, compare it with another story. Okay, we're going to skip forward here a little bit. It's, it's uh, remarkable, the parallels between these two stories. Again, another unnamed prophet who had a message to Ahab that involves a lion, prophet, or that involves a, a lion and involves deception. It's very unusual. At the Lord's command, a member of a group of prophets ordered a fellow prophet to hit him. An unusual request, but he refused. Okay, so the Lord told me, hit me. Okay, and he refused. So he said to him, because you have disobeyed the Lord's command, a lion will kill you as soon as you leave me. And as soon as he left, a lion came along and killed him. And then the same prophet went to another man and said, hit me. And boy, if you had just witnessed a lion killing this man, you'd probably hit that individual, wouldn't you? And so this man did so. He hit him a hard blow. Wanted to make sure he got credit for it. <laughs> hit him with a hard blow and hurt him. And the prophet bandaged his face with a cloth to disguise himself. He went and stood by the road waiting for King Ahab to pass and... Um, we won't go into the story, but this made a very dramatic presentation to King Ahab because he thought he'd been hurt in battle, and so he was able to make a strong impression on Ahab. And so after this was over, the king went back to Samaria worried and depressed. So uh, again, these are difficult, hard stories meant to reach people who are very stubborn in rebellion. Um, so again, the question is, we're, we're kind of paralleling these uh, two stories here. We have two prophets of the Lord who claim to speak for God and asked another prophet of the Lord to do something. Okay, our first case here, the first one lied. And the other prophet, the younger prophet, was killed by a lion for believing the lie. The second prophet told the truth. And the other prophet was killed by a lion for not believing. Okay, so again, if I um, came up to one of you and said, you know, the Lord came to me last night and told me you were to do this. Well, I mean, how would you know? What? I might be lying. How could you decide something? I mean, here it would seem like first prophet is blamed for something that just seems kind of the counter opposite here with the other prophet. How could you tell the difference? Yes? <clears throat> okay. So did you all hear that? That if God really came and told you to do something, what would make you deviate uh, from that? Um, well... Um, I, th I think that's a good point, that it would have to be, well, you'd almost, you'd need another word from the Lord, wouldn't you, to, to, to kind of to do something different. Um, well, I tried to pick something that was really old, not to offend, I don't, I hope this person's not still a, an evangelist, I don't know, but uh, it's, 
you know, if you watch TV enough and you, you see enough sermons, there are lots and lots of claims made. God revealed this to me. God said this to me. Okay, this is relevant. How can we know if someone is really uh, speaking for the Lord or not? And um, this is so repetitive all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. People claiming to speak for God that don't speak for God. Here's just one of them in Micah. My people are deceived by prophets who promise peace to those who pay them, but threatened war for those who don't. To these prophets, the Lord says, prophets, your day is almost over. The sun is going down on you. Because you mislead my people, you will have no more prophetic visions. You will not be able to predict anything. The city's rulers govern for bribes. The priests interpret the law for pay. The prophets give their revelations for money. And they all claim that the Lord is with them. No harm will come to us, they say. The Lord is with us. Okay, so it's Old Testament. It's New Testament. Um, Here's a rather striking one in 2 Corinthians talking about these false prophets. Those men are not true apostles. They are false apostles who lie about their work and disguise themselves to look like real apostles of Christ. Well, no wonder. Even Satan can disguise himself to look like an angel of light. Okay, so um, uh, it's, it's a, a redundant topic here. And I guess, well, what would I do? Let's say that God told me, you know what, after the Bible study today, go home or go back to work by a route that you didn't take. Don't accept any hospitality. And if one of you came down and said to me, uh, you know what, I had a revelation that uh, you're to come home with me, uh, what would I do? Well, uh, I think the safe thing to always do in, some, in a case like this is, well, if God has revealed something to you that's different than what he revealed to me, then, then I better go talk to God about that. Uh, I'm going to, maybe if he revealed it to you, he'll reveal it to me. I'm going to go, uh, go talk with him. Wouldn't be so quick just to right away follow uh, whatever it was that, uh, that uh, might be suggested. So uh, what do you think would happen if the young prophet had said, well, that's very interesting, what you're asking me to do. It, it's not what God had originally told me to do. Uh, I'm going to go over and talk to God. And uh, he revealed this to you. He's revealed something to me. I'm sure he can update me of the situation if, if something has changed. Okay, but he didn't talk to God. I think that would have been, that's always the, the safe thing to do. And in the case here of uh, someone one of you comes up and says, God has told me, hit me. I would say, well, that's, that's an interesting request. It's not quite consistent with God's kingdom as, as I understand it in Jesus. Um, but you know what? He's revealed something to you. Maybe he'll reveal it to me. So let me go talk with God about that and see if, you know, and see if I also uh, have an enlightening message. Yes? That's, that's a very good story. He's talking about Abraham. God came to him. Remember, with a very unusual request, um, although when we talked about that story, if you, if you were here, um, we said that it really wasn't unusual in that day. You know, that's what was done. You sacrifice your firstborn. It's the highest act of devotion. Um, but Abraham was on his way because God had spoken to him many times. You know, he knew God's voice. But if you read into Hebrews, it says that Abraham talked with God along the way. And he reasoned with God, and he thought, well, maybe God can uh, resurrect my son. And so he was on his way with the limited knowledge he had, but he was, he was, he was talking with God along the way. Yes? Um, you know, I think we could think uh, not only about uh, the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac, but what about Eve at the tree? I mean, didn't Satan come with uh, an entirely different message? Uh, I mean, basically said, God's a liar. God's not a God of freedom. 
And what, what should Eve have done? Don't you think the safe thing to do would be to say, well, that's, uh, that's very interesting. That's uh, an entirely something that I haven't heard before. You know what? Uh, God comes for a walk in the garden in the evening, and uh, I'm going to uh, talk with him about all of this. I mean, wouldn't that always be the, the safe approach in something like this? And she, Imagine how human history would have been different had she gone and explained this to God, and they had a conversation. Uh, but, of course, she uh, impulsively um, acted on the lie about God. So a few verses on this. First uh, John 4, 1. My dear friends, do not believe all who claim to have the Spirit, but test them to find out if the Spirit they have comes from God. For many false prophets have gone out everywhere. Okay, and we are supposed to test these things, not just to uh, blindly go along. And in Thessalonians, do not despise inspired messages, put all things to the test, keep what is good. Okay, so we are each responsible for ourself. Okay, follow your conscience and, um, you know, this is an individualized uh, kind of a thing, but we are to put everything um, to the test. Remember, God doesn't test us beyond what we're able to withstand, okay? And we keep coming back to God for uh, additional light. Now, there's a great verse here in Deuteronomy about prophets, because we often assume, well, if the prophecy comes true, then they're a true prophet, okay? But in, here in Deuteronomy 13, suppose there are prophets among you are those who dream dreams about the future, and they promise you signs or miracles, and the predicted signs or miracles occur. Well, that would be enough, you know, for some. Well, if it comes true, then they must be of God. Okay, but notice, well, even if the miracle comes true, if they then say, come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. Okay, so forget about the miracle. Forget about the sign or wonder that came true. If they're leading you to a different God, don't listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. <clears throat> okay, now uh, we'll come to our third story, which, which I think does relate somewhat here to these first two stories. So hopefully we kind of round out here a larger picture of this. Okay, when King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and we need to take the account not only in Kings but in Chronicles because the story is told twice. This part adds a little detail. When King Jehoshaphat of Judah became rich and famous... He arranged a marriage between a member of his family and the family of King Ahab of Israel, which was, of course, a very foolish thing to do. Ahab was remarkably wicked. And here we have Jehoshaphat. Why is he trying to link um, these two kingdoms? A number of years later, Jehoshaphat went to the city of Samaria to visit Ahab to honor Jehoshaphat and those with him. Ahab had a large number of sheep and cattle slaughtered for a feast. He tried to persuade Jehoshaphat to join him in attacking the city of Ramoth and Gilead. He asked, will you go with me to attack Ramoth? And Jehoshaphat replied, I am ready when you are, and so is my army. We will join you. And then he added, but first let's consult the Lord. So Ahab called in the prophets, about 400 of them, and asked them, should I go and attack Ramoth or not? Attack it, they answered. The Lord will give you victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, isn't there another prophet? I mean, is, is it a little bit of a red flag when 400 prophets are all right in unison? Absolutely, no doubt about it. Does that raise a red flag? But Jehoshaphat asked, Isn't there another prophet through whom we can consult the Lord? And Ahab answered, Well, there is one more, Micaiah, son of Imla. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good for me. It's always something bad. Okay, what does that mean? I mean, wouldn't that indicate that he knows that, um, that he's in the right, okay? Well, you shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. 
And then Ahab called in a court official and told him to go and get Micaiah at once. The two kings, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing place just outside the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying in front of them. One of them, Zedekiah, made iron horns and said to Ahab, This is what the Lord says, in very authoritative. With these you will fight the Syrians and totally defeat them. All the other prophets said the same thing. March against Ramoth, and you will win, they said. The Lord will give you victory. Meanwhile, the official who had gone to get Micaiah said to him, All the other prophets have prophesied success for the king, and you had better do the same. But Micaiah answered, By the living Lord, I promise that I will say what he tells me to. And when he appeared before King Ahab, the king asked him, Micaiah, should King Jehoshaphat and I go and attack Ramoth or not? And the reply seems very quick. Well, attack, Micaiah answered. Of course you'll win. The Lord will give you victory. I think there was a fair amount of sarcasm here. We, we missed the, the tone of voice um, in this. Uh, this was a sarcastic reply. But Ahab replied, when you speak to me in the name of the Lord, tell the truth. Okay? He knows he shouldn't be doing this in the first place. I mean, isn't this pretty clear? Uh, just don't get that Micaiah. Don't bring that guy. And then when he comes... You know, he knows he's lying. How many times do I have to tell you that? And Micaiah answered, okay, now here's the truth. I can see the army of Israel scattered over the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these men have no leader. Let them go home in peace. And Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good for me? It's always something bad. And Micaiah went on. Now, this is kind of an interesting part here, challenging. Now, listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne in heaven with all his angels standing beside him. This is a heavenly throne room um, scene that's told many times in the Old Testament. And the Lord asked, Who will deceive Ahab so that he will go and be killed at Ramoth? And some of the angels said one thing and others said something else. God's looking for a deceiver. Anyone have an idea? Someone want to go deceive Ahab? Until a spirit stepped forward. Who's that? approached the Lord and said, I will deceive him. How? The Lord asked. And the spirit replied, I will go and make all of Ahab's prophets tell lies. And the Lord said, go and deceive him. You will succeed. Okay, is this uh, problematic at all for our uh, theology? Okay, we have God sending lying spirits. And Micaiah concluded, this is what has happened. The Lord has made these prophets of yours lie to you. They had no choice. God made them lie. But he himself has decreed that you will meet with disaster. And then the prophet Zedekiah went up to Micaiah, slapped his face, and asked, Since when did the Lord's Spirit leave me and speak to you? And Micaiah said, You will find out when you go into some back room to hide. And we won't uh, read that, but it did happen. And then King Ahab ordered one of his officers, arrest Micaiah and take him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Prince Joash. Tell them to throw him in prison and put him on bread and water until I return safely. Don't you feel bad for Micaiah? I mean, he lied. Oh, come on, tell me the truth. And then he told the truth, and then he's in jail. I mean, he was doomed either way. There was no way around it. And then Micaiah has to get the last word in. Well, if you return safely, then the Lord has not spoken through me. And he added, listen, everyone, to what I have said. And then King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to attack the city of Ramoth and Gilead, and it was just as Micaiah had predicted. They were defeated, slaughtered. Okay, so um, anyway, it, it really was true. 
So uh, this quote of Benjamin Franklin, I think it's Benjamin Franklin, came to mind that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And uh, one of you emailed me uh, last week uh, after our Bible study about, um, remember we talked about the fire that Elijah called down. Everyone was on their knees. But then there was no revival. Okay, why didn't it work? No revival. Okay, and then we contrasted that with Revelation, where the, the beast calls down fire and everyone worships the beast. Why, why was God not successful? And why is the beast successful later on? And I think uh, this is a quote, maybe ties into this a little bit. Um, it's very, very difficult for us to change our mind and to go in a different uh, direction. Why did the Pharisees, remember uh, um, Jesus resurrected Lazarus, we talked about last time. And uh, he waited specifically, I think, that period of time because the, the thought uh, back in that day was that when someone died, their spirit hovered for three days around the tomb. And perhaps, uh, you know, Jesus' miracles were felt to be a fraud. He resurrected uh, Jairus' daughter. Well, maybe it was a trick. And so he waited uh, after that three-day period of time. And, of course, the you know, conclusion, or what's really conclusive about it is, um, you know, the words, he stinks. Okay, so he really was dead. This was not a trick. Okay, and so evidence, wonderful evidence here. He resurrects Lazarus, stinking Lazarus from um, the tomb. But remember, you just read on in John what happened. They left the tomb and plotted Jesus' death. Okay, never mind the miracle. Because a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. They hated Jesus. So they were able to overlook the miracle and uh, still continue on in the same direction. And I think uh, this uh, symbolic representation of Revelation, the beast calling down fire, well, he's playing in, you know, he's playing to the choir. Okay, these people are already uh, going in that direction. And so they're very easily deceived. So Ahab here, uh, he wanted to, to do this uh, battle. Okay, and so never mind what Micaiah said. He was going against his conscience. And uh, so he was defeated. So the real difficulty here is, does God send lying spirits? You know, if we demand a very literal interpretation of Scripture, um, yes, he does. How do we understand this? Um, well, contrast this with James. If we are tempted by such trials, we must not say this temptation comes from God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, well, here we have God doing this tempting here in the Old Testament. So how do we reconcile this? And um, just quickly here, I think there are two possibilities that, um, that seem most reasonable to me. One is, you know, Jesus told parables. And a parable is to make a single point, usually. Um, we don't make 10, 15, 20 points of doctrine out of a parable. Okay, that's, that's very problematic. The biggest uh, example of this would be the rich man and Lazarus. We want, to, we want to make a whole lot of doctrines out of the rich man and Lazarus, or was there a single point that uh, Jesus was trying to make? Do we really go to Abraham's bosom at death? Is there really direct communication between heaven and hell? We're communicating with people, talking back and forth, water being exchanged, drops and buckets to cool tongues and so on. Is that literal? Well, of course, uh, what many take away is, well, this is maybe the most conclusive story of the place of forever torture, because Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Well, there's a point to be made from this story. We, uh, in previous Bible studies, spent a long time talking about this. There is a point. Jesus was meeting people in a paradigm. They believed this, that when you die, you go to Abraham's bosom. They believed in all of these uh, things that uh, were told in the rich man and Lazarus parable. It fit their paradigm. 
Okay, Jesus met them where they were, told them a parable, and it was to make a very, very uh, distinctive point, which we won't get into now. So I think we could make the case here that in this story, kind of like a parable, okay, we're, we're not to take all of the individual things specifically and apply them. It's meant to make a very dramatic point to King Ahab, who was certainly a very hardened individual, that God is not with you on this. The prophets are lying, okay, and maybe that's all he was to take away. Um, I think there's uh, perhaps another uh, intriguing possibility. We have this heavenly council described several times in the Old Testament, the heavenly beings getting together. And when we read about this in Job, when the day came for the heavenly beings to appear before the Lord, Satan was there among them, one of the heavenly beings. Remember, Satan made the accusation against Job, and uh, the whole story unfolds from there. Is it possible that this uh, lying spirit uh, could represent a demonic agency. And I think uh, you could make a case for that. You know, the lying spirit, and Jesus say, who's the father of lies, uh, clearly referring to Satan. And then we have these passages here that we've talked about several times, that the relative absence of Satan in the Old Testament, how he's veiled somewhat. Very few references. In 2 Samuel 24, okay, we have the description that the Lord was angry at Israel again, and he made David think. Their God is, again, tempting to evil. He made David think it would be a good idea to count the people in Israel and Judah. And we read the same description, okay, in a, in a book written much later, First Chronicles, and it's Satan wanted to bring trouble. Same story. Satan wanted to bring trouble on the people of Israel, so he made David decide to take a census. Okay, so I, I like the parable approach, but I think we could also say that King Ahab, I mean, God's not trying to reach him with a whole point, different points of theology, there are lying spirits, and God allowed these lying spirits. I mean, what can he do when you've got an Ahab? He can't override his free will. And he allowed the prophets to be deceived. Okay, and I think we could put in a satanic agency there. But if I could just say in, in conclusion here, so we talked about these lying uh, prophets, these true prophets. Uh, I don't think that uh, any of us will be asked to hit someone or that, um, that these specific things... Uh, will happen in our day. I think there is something, though, that we are warned about, about lying prophets. And I think that really, if we're going to be tempted away, it will be from uh, the good news, the gospel. And this was the problem in the church of Galatia, uh, in Galatians, where Paul would say, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Here we have these false prophets again. All right, so I think it's very important that we are able to define what is the gospel? What is the good news? And uh, if a lying prophet is going to try to paint a different picture of the good news, uh, what would it be? And uh, Paul felt very strong about this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that's different from the one we preach to you, may he be condemned to hell. Okay, who was the first person that preached a false gospel? Wasn't it an angel from heaven? Maybe there's an illusion there. But um, so, you know, all different kinds of things. Paul was love, freedom. But if you distort the gospel, I mean, that is the worst possible thing. May you be condemned to hell. And... Um, you know, this is a big uh, subject here. How would you define the gospel? What is the good news? And I think if you put all of the different references together, I can just say for myself what, um, in a nutshell, what is the gospel? 
here in Romans 1, 16 and 17, this is kind of Paul's thesis for the whole book of Romans, he would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now there's a big Latin word, but uh, what is the righteousness of God revealed? Um, can this only be said in, uh, in Latin? Well, righteousness, could we say God's faithfulness, God's trustworthiness, God's character, uh, God's constancy, his dependency? Could we, uh, could we round that out into, into perhaps some different words? But the gospel, in the gospel, something about God is real. We make the gospel often about getting to heaven. You know, it is great good news, small g, okay, that we can go to heaven. But I think the ultimate good news is about a person, uh, not so much our salvation, as important as that might be. So uh, the gospel here, I think Jesus came to reveal something very, um, very focused, very specific for us. He came to reveal what God is like. I think that is the gospel. And uh, I mean, clearly, the, the righteousness of God Don't we see that at the cross when we imagine that the one who came was God himself, laid down his life? And I think if we uh, we tend to sometimes make all kinds of different uh, applications, but when we think about the life of Jesus, I think ultimately we're supposed to remind ourselves with every story, God is like that, God is like that. I mean, what is the Christmas message? You know, it is that God became a baby, spent nine months in a womb, spent his first night in a feeding trough, uh, that God is like that. I mean, that's, that's a gospel message. You know, that God took such an interest in the poor and the outcasts of society, took a group of fishermen for his disciples, uh, came and told us, you know, I, I came to serve, and you do the same, even though he's the king of the universe. And then he laid down his life. I mean, I, I think uh, the gospel says something to us about what God is like. And if there are going to be lying prophets, I think if, um, uh, well, if, if it is ever suggested that God is different than Jesus. That would seem to be uh, a lying prophet. If God is ever painted to be uh, arbitrary, severe, vengeful, uh, in any different way than as Jesus revealed him to be, that would be a lying prophet um, for our age. And uh, maybe wouldn't even need to go back and consult at that time. You could say quickly, you know, that is, that is not God as I understand him to be. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you again for... Um, your revelation to us. We, we struggle with these difficult stories in the Old Testament, but yet when we consider the fact that you came in such humble form, and uh, you know, surely a God that would come as a baby is a God who can be trusted. So help us as we try to understand these difficult stories, but um, also help us not to forget the big picture, that um, the revelation of you in Jesus Christ, that this is of supreme importance for us and for our day, and help us to come become more convinced of that as time goes on. Amen.